The purpose of today's podcast is to let you know who I am. First thing is, I am not cutting my hair. I am not changing the way I dress. I refuse to wear a suit. I am broke as shit. I have a judgment against me some from, from some bitch in Florida, and now I'm running for president. Hi, welcome to the Blank Space. So, uh, it's been a it's been a busy few weeks for you, bud. What? No, nothing exciting's happening in the world. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> things basically every day has been a new adventure. How about you, Ant? How how things how things been going with you? I'm not gonna lie. I feel I feel very similar in, in that I might be in the same place, but I'm running. Mm. Well, yeah. I mean, of course, we're talking about the video game releases that have happened basically over the course of March and April. Oh my God, there's just so much good stuff coming out right now. Yeah, yeah, that's that's for sure. Um, I, I've actually been enjoying a few games myself. Hmm. Uh, yeah. What have you been playing? Uh, let's see, a little bit of a Disco Elysium, which mm, that's a that's a game. game. Yeah, that's a game that like I'm sad that missed me last year, but the next time it's on a really good sale, I'm gonna play it. Um, how are you feeling about it? How far are you into it? Okay, so I got roughly about eight to sixteen hours in. Probably more like sixteen hours in. <laughs> Yeah, somewhere around there. Um, yeah. How are you feeling about it? I I like the game because it seems like it's trying to push you into a fun and interesting narrative. You feel like you're there with it. And the way that it does its style, everything feels interactive with you. None of the, There's none of this uh, wall of text that you're just expected to go through and figure out. No, it, it actually gives you a pretty good direction with uh how everything is set up so like an audio there's a lot of audio that's recorded for the game just in the reading of of the different lines and such like that feel very engaging and that's something i really like about it Hmm. yeah i mean that's something that's actually held me back on a couple of uh that's kind of something that's held me back on a couple of big rpgs i've played is when it just kind of plops a big wall of text in front of you with no voiceover, with no, like, with nothing really to it. It's just, I'm trying to think of a good example of this. Um, but there have been games before where, like, some parts are voice acted and some parts aren't. But usually the big wall of text with no voiceover in front of it usually turns me off pretty hard. Yeah, and you need that for the context of going through everything. And that's just... It's a bit much, but I don't feel like that in this game. I feel like I'm given all the clues kind of deal, but not in like I'm being handed everything. I'm actually working for all of them. You actually have to decide what questions do you want to ask and which questions do you not want to ask? Because if you ask too much, you might look like an idiot. <laughs> so the game is a mystery. So you feel like you're kind of grasping the mystery and the pieces leading up to it, leading up to like the ending. Uh, yeah, a bit, a bit. And, uh, I feel like things are progressing pretty nicely with it. Uh, I did fall off it a little bit, only because I got to a point where it's like, hey, do you want to be this type of, you know, cop or this type of cop? And I'm like, no? (laughs) (laughs) Neither. And then I realized I said yes to one of those things. And I'm like, wait, 
Is this like a permanent narrative decision I made? <laughs> I might something, go back a bit. <laughs> something tells me this was a permanent narrative decision that you made. <laughs> yeah. And that kind of like kind of froze me in place a little bit. But um, overall, I've been enjoying it a lot. Hmm. Yeah. Well, speaking of games, I, I I wasn't kidding. Basically, the end of the end of March and the beginning of April have been like a stupidly good time for video games. Yeah. It, just for me, what I've been playing, I've been playing Doom Eternal, Animal Crossing, Half Life Alex. Um, I picked up a game from the end of the last year called River City Girls. There's a ton of shit I've been playing, but like the one big thing I wanted to talk about was Doom Eternal. That so, game. Hmm? Tell me about this bad game. <laughs> Alright, I'm shutting down. I'm shutting down all the equipment. Hold on. <laughs> no, I I I I love pretty much all the Doom games for different reasons. I'm a I'm a big fan of the series in general. But Doom 2016, the one right before this one, was like an incredible game like it was a stroke of genius how the game worked combat wise how the game told its story how the game felt to play everything felt like a stroke of genius of like oh these guys just focused super hard on the combat of the game and everything else just kind of fell into place from there it was if i had played it that year it might have been my game of the year but I, i came to it a little bit late so Doom Eternal came around, and I was not going to skip out on that. And this game, I have more mixed feelings about it, but I'm still, I'm still really enjoying my time with it. Um, I'm not fully finished the game. I'm actually in the last chapter now, right before we actually started recording. Mm-hmm. But I I have some mixed feelings about the games in the, about the game in in one or two different ways, but I feel like the things that I enjoy about the game almost override those issues. I got gotcha. you. Funny thing, I just watched uh, who was it? Uh, Noah Caldwell Jarvis. He just did like a huge review of that game and mm. watched the entire thing for that. So I have a rough idea of what's going on. <laughs> yeah right like I, I like him too i haven't watched his video yet because i wanted to finish the game but yeah it's 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 been odd because like there are some parts of the game that <clears throat> i'm i'm really gravi- gravitating towards and then there are some parts i'm like i don't, I don't quite know what they were fully thinking here mm-hmm. the story is one of them that like i don't think they're gonna fix in the last like 10 15 minutes of the game it feels like they shot for the stars with this. The first game, Doom 2016, took a very simple approach to a story. It took a very simple approach of, you are the Doom Slayer. You're the, like, bane of hell. Like, every demon in hell fears you. And your whole goal in life is to wipe out all of the demons in hell. Your singular goal in life is to do that. And through that, you've gained a reputation as, like, the baddest mf or in the entire world and doom doom eternal starts to give more backstory to that and i feel like it stumbles a little bit in trying to give that narrative to you like it starts it, it has that problem of explaining 
why he's such a badass and what he where he came from and his history and it's like all right cool i guess i mean it's still really badass but like i feel like it's when you have to explain a joke it's like I, you kind of get lost in the sauce when that happens yeah i can get what you mean there like as soon as this was something that was not meant to be thought about very deeply in the first place and you're trying to be philosophical about it well it's not even that's being philosophical because the game is not at all being like deep it's not like you're playing a disco elysium or anything with like depth to it the story okay the story has has no depth to it and it feels like they're trying to big dig this big storyline for doom and i'm just kind of not buying it like i'm I'm buying it enough to the point where I'm like, yeah, you know, he's, he's still a complete badass, but it's like, I, all right, sure, whatever. <laughs> Where's the next big thing for me to shoot? Gotcha. And I think, and I think that's the bit, that's the thing that I'm like really gravitating towards in this game. The combat in this game feels like somebody discovered like a new way of developing a first person shooter and no one had ever thought of it before. Like, it's such a press-forward mentality of, like, you have to keep moving, you have to keep doing things. Mm-hmm. There's no, like, sitting down and just waiting to do a thing. It's like, no, you are, you you constantly move or you die. That is how the game works. Mm-hmm. And the game gives you all these tools to play with that, to, like, figure out your own play style to do this thing it's asking you to do. Um, ammo economy is another genius thing that I think like some people are just not gravitating towards but like the game makes you use all of your weapons I can't think of the last time a first person shooter asked me to use all of my arsenal Hmm. like like every game I can think of excluding Doom 2016 and Doom Eternal there's always been a gun you stick with and you pretty much stick with one or two of those for the entire game. If you run out of one, you go to the other. Yeah. I think the only other game that's made me uh, switch up a lot, and even then I still try and go for my favorites, was, what is it, the Halo series? Yeah, that's a so good example. Of like, of like they don't give you infinite ammo in that game, but they give you enough that you can stick with your favorite gun. Yeah. But yeah. I definitely have heard that it cut, it forces you... Not in like, hey, you're no longer allowed to use this thing, but in a, it's time, it's time to vary up what you're doing kind of deal. Yeah, and it's it, it's kind of interesting to see the reaction to it on release because effectively what it did was it told players, your favorite gun you're allowed to use, but you need to learn another gun, and a lot of people bounced off of that because they were like, well, I just want to use the super shotgun, or oh, I just want to shoot a big mini gun at things. And it's like game doesn't want you to do that like game the game wants you to play with all of it all of your toys yeah but the good and, thing is it doesn't stop you from using them it's like yeah you can still no. use it you're just gonna waste a lot more ammo doing it and then you will still have to try something else to fight something else right and it's 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 a lot of fun kind of the way that it's played with this system to improve on doom 2016's gameplay because I played that game and I was like, this is brilliant. This is amazing. Like, they, they've made such a press-forward mentality for combat. 
And then Doom Eternal comes around and it's like, yeah, now we're going to make you use all your guns. And I'm like, even better. <laughs> this is great. Yeah, I, um, even though I have gripes with Doom Eternal, I mean, I'm going to have to finish the campaign, but like, I feel like I'm going to like it as much as Doom 2016. I feel like they're both on par with each other. It's just mm-hmm. Doom Eternal shoots for the stars more than Doom 2016 did. Gotcha. Yeah. He's, he's, he's good video game. Yeah. I know I haven't gone into first-person shooters too much. Mostly because, to be honest, my computer can't handle it too well. Uh, <laughs> I do definitely need to upgrade this thing. But uh, I think the closest I've gotten to doing a first-person shooter recently was given Bannerlord 2 a little try. And, mm. uh, yeah, um, it's it's more Mountain Blade. Hmm. And uh, it's good. It's a good addition. And the things that it does are nice. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not too blown away with what it is. And to be honest... I'd recommend people to get it on a better sale if the, well, if they're interested in buying it. Well, yeah, the game is in early access too right now, right? Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what I was mean, that? Look, I mean, look, it, if a game's released, it's released. Okay, mm. and that's that, that's my thought there. I mean, early access, you're more likely to get something a little more jank. But yeah. In my opinion, when you put out a game, you put out a game. I feel like there's going to be a bigger conversation for us someday. Not today. Yeah. But someday I want to talk about that because I, I have some thoughts about that. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll go li- yeah. into it a little bit more for, ne- for next session. Yeah. But um, well, point so, is. So, okay. What were you going to say? Well, I was going to ask really briefly about Mountain Blade 2. Okay. So do you feel like. So this, this is something I was I was thinking about when Mountain Blade 2 got announced and was coming out. I'm not mm-hmm. the biggest fan in the world. Like, I haven't played a ton of it. Mm-hmm. It's not that I don't like it. It's not that I don't like it. I just haven't spent enough time with it. But I know that the game, the first few games, have a rabid modding community. Like, people love to make new games out of this. Like, oh, it's, yeah, almost like sure. an, it, it's almost like an engine that people use to create games that they actually want to play. Nobody's really interested in Mountain Blade. They're interested in what Mountain Blade can become. So, do you think people would move over to this new game that's full price and, like, possibly new technical issues and all this stuff and a brand new engine, as opposed to the older game where they know what what they're getting? Well, let's put it this way. It has an insane amount of user reviews that are very positive on steam. Mm. I think that there is enough there for if somebody did not have the mountain blade experience from before, they would enjoy it. This is a game that is very much enjoyable for somebody that has not experienced mountain blade for somebody that has experienced some of the more in-depth mods. I would say it feels equivalent and that doesn't feel right, uh, given how long this game, the first Mountain Blade, was out. Because the first Mountain Blade came out somewhere around the early 2000s, if I'm correct. Early 2000s or something 
like that. That sounds that sounds about right. Because I uh, I remember picking up Mountain Blade and trying it when I was probably in high school. So yeah, that was definitely sometime in the two in the two thousands. Was it uh, ready to come out? Uh, it looks like two thousand eight. Okay, that's okay. A, that's yeah. a little bit farther than I thought. But I think the point remains that um, they, it's it's had a long time to be in development, and it feels equivalent to one of the mods. And I, I was hoping for more. Hmm. It doesn't feel like a true... Like, they should have put a two on it. It doesn't it's feel like thing. it should be the actual sequel. Here's the thing, right? It is. Because, like, if you look at it from the base Warband, which is, like, their best version of Mountain Blade, right? It is mm -hmm. definitely a number two to that. But is it a number two compared to some of the mods out there? And the answer is, not really. Because you got to understand, right? Somebody made a full Star Wars mod for this damn game. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody made, like, an entire Lord of the Rings mod for it and all that. And I think that what we have now is a better base to make great mods out of. But it itself, though the combat is improved, and I think all the systems in which make it up are improved, it still doesn't feel like something I'd be like, yeah, I'm ready to jump on that. Mm. I kind of get what you mean. It, it doesn't feel like you're getting more product than what you were with the, with Warband or one of the original games, because there's so, there's such a wealth of content back there. Mm -hmm. This new one feels a little bare bones for the time being. Yes. I guess that'd be interesting to see when they eventually do leave early access if they intend on adding a lot to the game or if they're just like testing the waters to see what people want. Yeah. Do you know if they've talked about anything like a roadmap? Or if it's just literally here's the game? I'm going to be honest, I, I didn't even look. Uh, mm. So I, I, I'm pretty unenthused about the game at the moment, uh, in all honesty. Okay. So uh, okay. I, I ended up jumping into another game that uh, that I just wanted to take a look at. Uh, actually, the Age of Empires 2, another old game that they made a, a definitive edition of. And that feels really good to play. Hmm. I'm just double checking. This is the definitive edition, not the HD one they released a while back, right? Correct. It's a newer version of Age of Empires 2. Hmm. Uh which, in my opinion, is a really good game. And it feels like I'm rediscovering a game. Not in, like, a nostalgic sense, because I was never good at playing that game before. <laughs> um, but now that I'm playing it more as an adult, it's like, oh, okay, I'm actually having a lot of fun with this game and being able to work with its systems and understand all, like, the metas that are going on and all that kind of such. It's really cool, actually. Hmm. Yeah, you know, I when we were talking about it briefly before the show, I was at, telling you, like, I don't think anybody was really good at strategy games as a child. Yeah. Like, I think for the most part, we played the single players or we played a little bit of multiplayer, maybe some of the custom maps and we had fun. 
But nobody was like, oh yeah, I'm playing top tier strategy at, at seven years old. <laughs> I, I kind of had a similar experience, actually. I went back to Age of Mythology, because they released the like newer edition of it a couple of years back. Mm-hmm. And I felt I felt the difference like night and day where back in the day I would need to use cheats and all this stuff to actually like beat the game. And this time around, it's like, oh, I'm getting the systems. I'm getting how this all works now. Um, so, yeah, I'd be interested to see Age of Empires 1 and 2 because I don't have a long history with them, but I did like them as a kid. I'd be mm-hmm. interested to go back and see what that's like. Have they um, have they changed anything about the systems or is it basically the same game, new code of well- paint? It looks like they're updating the meta as they go. So, like, they keep making tweaks to the different civilizations so that they can still be, like, still be, uh, what is it, professionally competitive? Because it Mm. is some sort of professional scene around it. Uh, Oh, they're trying to turn Age of Empires into into an eSport. It looks like it. They, I was looking at this, uh, what is it, tournament they had last month, and they had, like, a $50,000 prize pool, so... It's hmm. like there's no money being thrown at this. But it yeah, it looks like they're trying to maintain some sort of meta so that there is a balance and they're do they they're continually doing updates for the game so that there's more and more balance to the game. So yeah. It it actually looks pretty cool how how they're continually maintaining it. And it you can really see the difference between a studio that has like a budget and is actively investing in a game compared to one that has less of budget and is kind of middling at a game, you know? Mm. Okay. Yeah, when you play more of it, you'll have to let us know. Yeah. But, um, what do you think? Wait, um, I forget. Did Age of Empires 2 have, like, an expansion? Or did it have, like, some kind of, like, DLC? It did. I think it made those part of the core game for the okay, that's edition. Cool. All right. Sounds good to me. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that wraps us up, us up catching up on the most exciting things of of twenty twenty so far. Well, well, okay, all right. So to be honest, we are we are avoiding one specific thing on the podcast, but I think it's time to talk about it. Ant, do you think it's time to talk about it? I mean, look, man, I I, I can't keep keep a secret this big any much longer. I want to talk about some tigers. <laughs> I want to talk about big cats. I could not have understood that at all by our intro today. <laughs> look, look, I'm a simple man. Joe Exotic goes up on screen and does insane things, and I'm kind of for it. <laughs> okay, let, let's. Let, I, this is my definitive opinion of everything. Okay. Of, of everything? Of everything that show uh, oh, okay. it involves, and that is that everybody belongs in jail. <laughs> hey, you're skipping ahead. Yo, hold, hold on, that is not a spoiler. That is a feature. <laughs> that, is, that, that, is, that is a selling point on the front of the box. <laughs> by the end of this show, quote, comma, by the end of the first episode... You will see, you will see how everyone belongs in jail here. Here's the thing. This, this series, it like, it takes you by the hand and it takes you on a wild adventure. And at some points you're like, man. And then at other points you're like, fuck this man. 
<laughs> and at some point, you say, he's fucking that man? Yeah. It's a, it's a big question mark over the whole series. And Real quick, what... Well, okay, for people, for some miracle, haven't watched Tiger King on Netflix, can you give a brief non-spoiler, dis- like, like description of the of the show? Yes, yes, I got this. Uh, everybody belongs, belongs in jail. <laughs> <laughs> Is that, okay, if you were writing the, the show description for Netflix, that's what you would write word for word. Okay. Uh, this is this is a show about big cat sanctuaries, and specifically about one man named Joe Exotic and a few other people that are related to him, either to the side of him or that were a bit of an adversary to him. And it does center around him, but overall, it does go over the big cat industry in general. It goes into a few different players that are within it. And it shows just how, I guess, messed up it kind of is. Is a good way to put it. In the United States. Yes, in the United States. It's all in the United States, because God knows probably somewhere else in the the world there's, like, some insane shit going on. I'm pretty sure everywhere else it's illegal. Yeah, well... I can't can't really imagine uh, you getting away with having a tiger in France. I'm just throwing that out there. But, hey, I could be wrong. I'm not I'm not researching this, so you know, I trust. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing zero research into this topic. But yeah, I think that's a fair description. Is like this is a story of like three specific people mm-hmm. in the US who deal in the like tiger sanctuary slash zoo slash like tiger conservation like world. Yeah. But they're all just greasy garbage people to me. They're all just like they're all uniquely American types of greasy assholes, though. Like, <laughs> like there is so something definitively American about all these people, and I hate them for it. <laughs> all well, all, all right, like, so here's all a... uniquely too. Here's here's where we'll get into a little bit of a disagreement. Okay. I think Joe is charismatic enough that I like him, and I will freely accept that he is—he belongs in jail, and he is like needs to be a person who is not like dealing with tigers. But he's charismatic as hell. Like I, I enjoy watching Joe Exotic. Okay, like, but so, so is the guy that leads the cult. <laughs> oh no, 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 him. <laughs> him i can't stand him i'm watching him and just like curling up in my chair like no go away you're stealing children (laughs) oh my god all right let's let's go into like each of these people because i feel like we're just gonna like talk about them all individually so let's talk about the doc let's talk about doc mcstuffins or whatever the hell his name was gotcha like Stufflefuff or whatever. He had some weird name. He doesn't deserve the recognition. Um. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he's he's one of the people who own one of these big cat zoos slash sanctuary kind of deals. And um, he is a complete garbage human being for many reasons. Um, 
one, he's awful to the animals, but two, oh my god, he's running a sex cult and he's not like under federal investigation. Um, well, hold on. <laughs> he might be actually. <laughs> well, okay, after this documentary came out, I know a bunch of stuff started. But, like, at the end of the documentary, it was shocking to me that this documentary finished in 2020. And the entirety of the time they were filming this, which I think they were filming it for, like, what, six years? Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Never once, like, nobody ever looked into, like, this man having teenagers work for him. And then him eventually marrying all of them. I mean, here's the thing, though. And this is going to be very gross, okay? Age of consent, not 18 in all the 50 United States. It's not, but... Ew. Oh, agreed. A hundred... When he... Isn't he, like, in his 50s or something like that? Yeah, man. And he's and he's exclusively hitting on and dating and sleeping with 16-year-olds and yeah. younger. Yeah. And forcing them to get boob jobs. Yeah. That was particularly gross. I had to back away for a minute. Yeah. The person it's, um it's definitely a unique type of, of filth. I was watching it online with sure. a friend and uh, we were a Netflix party and essentially okay. I paused the video when that happened and I walked away and we were both like I I'm I'm grossed out. I'm so disgusted by this man at this point. I can't even handle him how this is okay in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine. Yeah. I uh, it is, And the way that you hear how he manages their days and... Whew. Yeah, he's, he's disgusting. And funny enough, he's like... He's like the smallest of the three in the documentary that they show off. Yeah. Like he's like he's the one get, that gets the least airtime because mm-hmm. the other two are just such big figureheads in the in the documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, do, do you want to talk about Carol Baskin? <sighs> okay, she's kind of hard to talk about. Okay, mm-hmm. because there's so many different things going on with what she is. For one. There is the question of whether she did or did not kill her husband. Uh, she did it. Which is a question that she did brought it. up during the uh, the whole documentary and whether it actually did happen or did not. And it does give some pretty strong evidence that, yeah, she killed him. She murdered her husband. Check the soup the tank. <laughs> no, I... Uh, I mean, it's yeah, that or... Uh, I don't know. I mean, he apparently her husband also had like a small fleet of prop planes, so and oh, he also could have just died because of drug money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I don't know if he she necessarily did, but she is super suspicious about every single bit of this, like every single little bit of this. Yeah, but it's it would think... be enough to be very suspicious of what would be going on, especially given. The family around her that were around that were the husbands and how they were treated in this. Mm-hmm. Right? And how they feel about how the situation had gone down. So, I mean, that's pretty 
at bare minimum, that's pretty suspicious right there. I think the part that sold me was that there was no wake and there was no technical funeral. Yeah. It was just like, oh yeah, you just never had one and you married someone within like, I think it was a year or two. Yeah. After the fact. What's with this? What What is with this documentary and everyone dating and getting married within like months of meeting each other? Like nobody ever sent, nobody ever spends like years seeing a person and then like marries them. In this documentary, if someone is dating for more than three months, it's weird. They need to get married immediately. I wonder if it's just like a regional thing or are all our friends weird? <laughs> no, no, it's no, no, no. It's entirely the Netflix documentary. Okay. It's entirely the people in this documentary. Because imagine, imagine for a minute, I came up to you and said, hey, I've been seeing this girl. We've been going out for about like six weeks to two months. I propose. <laughs> how, how would you react? <laughs> uh, I would, I would sit you down and have an adult conversation. Ah, okay. Okay. And uh, be like, uh, what the hell are you doing, son? <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I don't... All of it's so suspicious around all... Anyway. Well, here's here's the other thing, though. Mm-hmm. The, the type of person that, that she is is something that I deeply have an issue with as well. Oh? Yes. It, she's the type that uses media and manipulation and to... And uses her wealth as a strength against people. Which it seems she has been doing against the family who she had tried to have quieted down. I mean, even in all fairness, though, I think Joe 100 deserves every bit that he's been taken from. uh, In in this whole case thing that she had against him. Yeah, Joe, Joe certainly is not an innocent man in any of this. Oh yeah, he he hundred percent deserves everything that happened to him. Hmm. But uh, okay, not not every single thing, but like you know, the kid didn't. We'll we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> but just just the 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 Instagram personality thing, I mm, it just it, it rubs me the wrong way. It rubs me in a way of fakeness and. Uh, there are so many different things that have been pulled out to show that she doesn't necessarily care about the animals either. And comparing to living standards of uh, of other places, you take a look at what she has set up, and it's not exactly in the best. And I, I have a whole issue with the free labor she gets with the, from all those people. That uh, now that that in particular is the thing that I am I'm like I am grossed out by this person that. Now, to be fair, I think uh, I think there have been interviews with her or, like, staff have come forward and said, like, yeah, there are people who are paid to be here. Yeah. But if, like, a majority of your workforce are volunteer-based and you're raking in a pretty hefty check, like, I think, that, I think the thing that comes down to me is, like, I don't have a problem with her having a large social media presence or, like somewhat manipulating her image yeah. to like be really fa- really friendly the part that grossed me out 
was pretty much back to back. One part was, oh, everyone here is a volunteer. They all come here. No one is like, um, nobody here is paid. They all do it of their own free time. They just love the animals. And they spend sometimes years or decades here to like show their dedication. And then point two was, oh, you know, Facebook just sent us a check for like ten or $20,000. And I'm like, what? How, hold on. How much money are you making? If your social media, which is probably the smallest part of your business, is rake, one site, one website yeah. paid you $10,000 for what you do on that one site. What does your income look like? What does your profit margin look like? What's your revenue stream? Because I'm very interested to see how this place is a nonprofit if you are running a business like this. Yeah. It's interesting just to see how things are run by all these different people. And I'm not happy about any of them. No. And I mean, like you said, they're, they're gross for entirely different opposite ends of the world. Okay. You know what? Let's, let's finish up Joe and then we can go into the gross grossness of all three and we'll do a huge compare and contrast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so so the first guy, Doctor Doctor McStuffins or whatever his name was, uh, he's running a sex cult, and he's he's somewhat abusive to the animals, somewhat some sometimes down to murdering them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carol is basically making forced labor, um, and she possibly murdered her husband. She definitely did, but we're gonna say that she possibly did. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about Joe. Let's talk about Joe Maldonado Exotic Stragaber, whatever his for whatever his original birth name was. I look, I, I like Joe. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, he's super charismatic. Okay. God god damn is he so slimy. <laughs> There's so much shit in this documentary that I don't know how he thought was a good idea to put to film. I mean, if people don't tell you, no. But, like, there's so much in here that's, like, stupid illegal. Yeah. And there would be so much more if he, if, look, allegedly, he didn't burn down his own shed with his own footage in it because he realized how fucking illegal it was. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, he literally had an employee lose an arm for him. Yeah. Well, okay. That one, I don't have a, a gigantic issue with how they handled it. I mean, I have an issue, but like, I don't have a gigantic issue with it. Uh, okay. Well, okay. Well, what was your issue with that? Um, I mean, per the show, you know, the show handled it, I think well, but like Joe himself, his reaction, I'm never going to financially recover from this. <laughs> oh, come on. You're telling me you didn't love him walking into the gift shop and telling everybody, hey, by the way, an employee's arm got ripped off just moments ago. Uh, can I give you guys rain checks or something? <laughs> yeah, no. Okay, yeah. Joe. Joe's saying that financially he's ruined because of this is not exactly the best look uh you don't say 
But I will counter that with the fact that they brought, um, they brought, um, uh, what's it called? Um, what was their name? Like, Saf? Yeah, I think it was Saf. Uh, they brought Saf back to work, gave them, like, a whole bunch of money, like, gave them a job still, kept them around, did, the, like, Joe took care of Saf. Mm. I'm not saying that, is that like not true. <laughs> that is a bending of the truth, good sir. It is, it is. <laughs> but I mean, if if I were to truly think of like what would be what would be like the worst gut reaction you could have, it's to fire that employee, call them like, oh man, they're incompetent, they couldn't do anything, and then just like kick them to the curb. At the bare minimum. I mean, I don't, I don't the, the other option. Well, well, I don't. I don't think you can fire somebody under those conditions. But uh, I don't know. If any. I don't know if anything Joe was doing was by the book. Good point. Good point. But <laughs> look, the, the employee made the decision to come back to work and to amputate their arm instead of saving it because it would look better for Joe. And that, yeah, that was pretty slimy. That is. Wow. Ah. That is yeah. dedication that is just not cool or comfortable. I mean, that's All right, let, right there. Let me reword how I want to put this then. Okay. In the scope of things Joe Exotic does over the course of these seven episodes. Okay. That I think ranks on the lower end of things he's done. I highly disagree, actually. <laughs> what? I think, Are you kidding me? <laughs> I think, like, it's, like, on number three. Oh, my oh, God. Thanks. I. Oh, my God. Did you and I watch the same documentary? Man, he did a lot of bad shit. But I'm just saying, like, I would say two of okay. the things are the coercion of young men to marry him. <laughs> okay, we'll come back to that. We'll come back to that in a moment. Okay. What was the other thing? Okay, so th those are two, number one and two. Number three is, of course, you know, the employee with the arm losing. Yeah. All right. Okay. And so everything what, else what is was, below that. Well, what was number one for you? Oh, that was that one and two were both his husbands. Okay. Because to me, yeah, no, that's number one. Is basically basically keeping a, keeping these guys like hooked with meth and weed and guns and presents and and having them pretend to be gay so that they'll stick around. That was the grossest thing in the entire documentary. But there are things below that that I would rank way worse than than how he treated the arm thing. What would you put higher? Him burning down his shed with a whole bunch of illegal footage in it. <laughs> Just to not get caught. And killing multiple alligators in the process. You know, I think the issue is is that we, that have, is like we have different views on animals. Well, <laughs> hold on, we're going to talk about this. But also, but like, no, I, I, I think that's a big issue because effectively what the documentary says is like, if Joe is the one who did this, he just hid 
an incredible amount of evidence from like prosecutors against him, which I mean, yes, he should technically do because he did a lot of illegal shit. But that means the stuff we saw in the documentary was the stuff that he was okay with showing. There is stuff that we never saw in that shed. You know what? That's that's a pretty good point. That still makes it number four, though. Oh my that's God. number four on my list. Alright, well, how about him actually sending a hitman to go kill Carol Baskin? Well... Him paying for a hitman to go murder his competition. And, you know, I'm going to tack it on. I'm going to tack on all of the, like, broadcasts that he made that was all about, like, hey, Carol Baskin, here's a dummy of you, and I'm going to shoot it in the head. Oh, hey, Carol Baskin, hold this grenade for me. Oh, hey, Carol, I'm going to bury you in a river. Oh, hey, Carol, I'm going to mail you snakes. That to me. That is still below that. That is, it's not, it's not good. It's number five on my list. (laughs) I'm having you rank like the top 100 worst moments Ah. in this entire Netflix thing. (laughs) No, because to me, like the arm thing is absolutely terrible. That happens at the beginning of episode two, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I remember watching that and being like, oh my god, this is like the lowest point for Joe. It better be the lowest point for Joe, because I I can't imagine him doing much worse. And then he did so much worse, in my eyes. Here's the thing. For me, when there's a question of power over somebody, that mm-hmm. makes something way worse ultimately who got harmed um in the whole like alligator fire thing is the alligators themselves which not people sorry um wow wow (laughs) and the truth comes out but i mean then there's the footage as well which i think is pretty scummy but ultimately it, it did technically ruin that guy's, basically, I guess his retirement fund. So that's pretty fucked up. I mean, but, I'm thinking about that guy, but at the same time, like, I don't, the scummy part to me is the, the possibility that Joe burned this shed down because he realized there was something really, really incriminating there. Or the fact that he, like, didn't own the footage. And that pissed him off so badly that he committed arson and animal abuse. I gotcha. But, again, it just becomes who has the most power over somebody. For that, for me, those are the most awful sort of abuses you can make over somebody. Is when you have power over somebody personally, or like how they should live their lives. And that's the type of power he had over his husbands, that employee, how... You know, that, that, to me, that is the worst type of offense. Yeah, and and here's the thing. I think we'll both agree what he did to Travis, his second husband, was beyond awful. Mm -hmm. Like, I watched that unfold, and I was like, I 
No, I'm sorry, Joe. I like I somewhat like you. You're a garbage human being at this point. Yeah. Like I oh I get skeeved out thinking about it. I Okay, well, instead of disagreeing about what is worse, because it's kind of a pissing contest at that point, mm-hmm. I I, I want to talk about the I want to talk briefly about the ending of the series. Okay. And then we can talk about, like, the things everyone has done. Okay. Because I feel like I I, I just want to me- I just want to talk about, like, the ending court case and how it kind of wraps up. Okay. How did, how did you feel about the court case in general? Like, how, how the state handled it? How, how like, he, how, how everything went? See, here's the thing. When I say everybody belongs in jail. <laughs> you mean it? I think literally, uh, except for like the regular employees. Yeah. Anybody yeah. that had like an ownership stake in Joe Exotics. Oh my God. We didn't even talk about Jeff. Holy shit, Jeff. <laughs> like Jeff? God. Go to jail. For Fuck God. Jeff. Yeah, pretty obvious fraud. Yeah. I should use that word more carefully given what I do, but... uh, (laughs) Metaphorical fraud. I'm not going to do legal terms right now. Alleged. Yeah. (laughs) Well, okay, so he he did that. Yeah. Honestly, here's the thing to me, and this is something I'd have, have to really look into, like, the legal definition of it. Didn't they just do entrapment, essentially? Like, entrapment is the idea of, like, setting up a situation so that someone is very inclined to commit a crime. Isn't that what Jeff and his co-worker did yeah. to get him to, like, to get him to, like, incline to hire a hitman? Yeah. I mean, Joe, to a degree, was saying, like, yeah, I'm gonna go murder Carol Baskin someday. Like, I'm gonna go, like, send someone to rip her head off it. But it's like... I'm pretty sure Jeff just entrapped him into that. Well, here's the thing. I I think for, like, the actual hiring of a hitman, yeah. But I I think he should still be charged with all the shit he says, though. Yes, and that's why, like, when when Joe was like, oh, they tacked all this stuff on because the hitman thing won't stick, I'm like, he's technically right. But st- but putting all those things on his court case is legitimate. He did abuse animals. He did sell tiger. He did sell tiger cubs. Um, he did. I don't even remember all the charges. He did he, everything he was being charged with. Essentially, was accurate. Yeah, I mean uh, the we- the weird thing about it is, it-, it seems like this has been going on for a really long time. And it's been technically mm-hmm. illegal for a long time, too. And just, it's all been allowed to happen? It, it just seems weird. I guess it's just one of those things where if nobody's looking at it and nobody cares, then it doesn't get well, followed I, up on. Well, I think it was just more that, like, not enough eyes were on it. It's that people cared, but I don't, I don't think... The right eyes. I don't think the right eyes were on it. 
And I think the beautiful thing about this documentary, and this is kind of why I want to talk about the ending a little bit. This documentary comes out, and I guarantee we're going to see like some kind of action from it. Because yeah. this, everyone has seen this. Like, I feel like even the people who haven't seen the show know about it. And I feel like this is going to spark an investigation into the people in the documentary. And then on top of that, like, an investigation into, like, the big cat trade in general. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know, man. I, I'm interested to see what happens from this documentary. But I think the thing in particular I'm very interested in is I want to see a documentary made five years from now following up on what happened after this documentary released. Like, I essentially want to see... Oh, yeah. yeah. I want more than anything, basically, just for the um, documentary to come out and for people to just be like, oh, yeah, this was insane. Essentially, 2020, the year that was the craziest year on record, also released a Tiger documentary... And then the feds got involved in so many things. The feds got involved in, like, Carol Baskin's Animal Sanctuary and this doc dude and Jeff Lowe and, like, all these people who are just, like, the scummiest, skeeviest people. Mm-hmm. Ugh. It's insane. Like, all I want is just, like, a documentary five or ten years from now, like, expanding yeah. on this. I think the unique thing is how all three people had abused people in just different ways. Oh yeah. That was kind of the theme of it was abuse in a way. Yeah. It's like for the, uh, what was it? The, the doc guy who basically had Mm -hmm. his own little cult thing going on. His abuse was having strength and power and using that to coerce people to work under him and using Mm -hmm. impressionable girls to basically be his fuck buddies, get married to him, and uh, expand his business that way and just control people. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, the grossest thing is just the age difference there and just straight up taking advantage of somebody that's young and impressionable. And The, fu- the funny thing is, is that for the whole documentary, it's not like they're doing like this whole thing of the paint him badly, right? They just let people speak. And the words yeah. enough are how like kind of how gross this whole situation is. Yeah, I guess that's something worth mentioning is like these people are not shy talking about a lot of these issues. Sure, there's a few times where they're like, I don't wanna I don't wanna fully get into that, but like there's very few times where they keep lock lipped about things. It's like, oh yeah, like there's this drug kingpin who was selling tigers and meth and here's his name and it's like oh okay sure and then they find him and they interview him <laughs> yeah and then they just go and talk to him and he's like yeah you know i killed a guy and it's like oh my god what the how is he the most on? sympathetic character here <laughs> a little bit actually a little bit um yeah like you have people you have um what's it called you have joe talking about like turning his second husband gay and i'm like this is so gross joe why are you talking about this well the thing is right is that the way joe got all his people is through friendship is through quote-unquote friendships right and through 
using more at-risk people. So he would get the people that are just out of prison and they need a job and nobody else is going to hire him. So you better work for me kind of deal. So that's the type of people he would go after that, that were more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is, is that Carol Baskin, um, it's not like she was going after people that were at risk or vulnerable. It feels like she's abusing their goodwill, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah, honestly, I, I I would say she's maybe tied with the 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 culty guy. In like, hers is a cult of personality. Here's the thing: hers is her hers is all about like the people under her love and worship her, and it's not it's not crazy slimy in how she does it, but when you break it down to like the way that she entices people to stay and like, uh, I'm not going to pay you, but you can maybe get more access to like these things, or maybe you can do this job or something like that. You just have to stick around for like a year, two years, five years. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's the thing. Cause like it's, it's hard for me, you know, I'm going to say it's not as bad as that cultish guy. No, no, no. It's not at all. It's not at all. But I it, I guess I'm thinking in the way that they're manipulating people. Yeah. It's kind of on the same bar. It It is. And the parallels you, you, you can see between those two and how the people act when, when they're interviewed and such, it feels very similar. And I'm not sure if that was done deliberately. Probably was, my guess, to, to show the parallel between them. But, uh, well, I don't know about filming, but at least editing wise, they probably meant for it to be kind of mirror images. Yeah. Like I imagine anytime I've heard about how documentaries are made, there's no like, there's no big like through plan, Mm -hmm. at least in these kind of documentaries. If it's a documentary about a specific event, then usually there's like a through line of like, this happened, this happened, this happened. Mm Mm-hmm. These kind of documentaries were just like the camera crew embed themselves in what's going on. They just get like a boatload of footage and then at the end they go through it and, and make the through line there. Yeah, that's fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I... Hmm? Yeah, it, it's just interesting just to see how like these are all three different versions of manipulation, but they're still all manipulation. And you kind of have to decide which is bad and which is worse. And I mean, they're all bad in some way, for sure. I feel that when people abuse people's volunteer efforts, it's not good. I, I don't see. Do you, you know what? Here's a good question. Do you think what Carol Baskin does is morally better than what the other two did? Um, you can break it down if you want. I don't know. I kind of want to just put them all on the same level, because I'm not. I don't want to say one form of manipulation was worse than another. I mean, I think that is a Joe. Joe Joe technically hedges them out because he was using drugs, but like that just technically hedges him out of the other two. Like they're both about the same. Like level of grossness for manipulating people yeah and i guess in a way like 
I guess in a way, like sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's not that they're manipulating the people because manipulating's too like negative of a word for it. Yeah, they're influencing them. I, they're 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 coming into their lives and then like showing them, oh look, I have tigers, I have money, I have all these things, and um, like coercing them feels like the wrong word. Like manipulating them feels somewhat negative. It's influencing them. It's it's showing that like you can leave whenever you want, but this is what this is what you can have. And it's like it's a it's a enticing force. Yeah, and I think that was kind of interesting because it showed like how much of the social aspects had caught everybody to stay. Like mm-hmm. it's all about that yeah, social I mean, element that keeps everybody there. Yeah, I mean, especially with Joe. I think one of the, the craziest things to me was when they interviewed his campaign manager. Oh my god, we barely talked about his campaigns, but like, <laughs> that's too much crazy to go into. Um, and like, in particular, I'm looking at it like, okay, his campaign manager starts the interview with him saying, that was the worst year and a half of my life. And I'm like, oh my god, what happened? And then over time, he becomes sympathetic to Joe, like after Travis's death. It's like, this is how it happens. It wasn't drugs, it wasn't money, it wasn't anything. It was just like, Joe got sympathy out of this guy, so this guy stuck around probably longer than he would have. Yeah. And that's kind of the story of all of it, is like, these people bring them in bring them in through various means, whether it's manipulating them from a young age, whether it's drugs, whether it's like a cult of personality, whatever, like, or tigers a lot of them just get brought in because it's like, Hey, do you want to pet a tiger? Yeah. But I mean, like it, a, a lot a, of it is just literally social ties. You can leave, but where would you go? Pretty much all the people that you know, and that you're around or have been friends or you've been with are people that are attached to these people. And that's like one of the big yeah. ways that they're able to retain people and keep people on. And I mean, you can argue I think there's an argument there where you can say like, well, that's true for really anything, whether it's like for a company that you work for or for any organization you can work with. And I guess that's kind of true. I guess it's just how is that social aspect leveraged or not? And I think once the social aspect is leveraged, that's when you start to have a problem. Yeah, it's almost the responsibilities around it. Yeah. Like some workplaces, some workplaces obviously would be a bit manipulative to stay. They'd be like, "Oh, well, you've made your friends here, or you've made coworkers here that you really like, or something like that." But there is also the added aspect of like pay and benefits and other things, and like it really comes down to the responsibilities you kind of have within that group. So, for example, like in in um, in carols, it's like, well, all your friends are in the in, in the animal sanctuary. Like, you, you come here to help the animals, and then you meet other people who are like-minded, and you get along with really well. And you're not being paid, and you're also being worked, like, 12-hour days. And there are some people who are, like, 16 years old who, like, are interning there, and it's insane, like... 
yeah, it's it 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 it's a matter of like what responsibility do you have to that place and kind of what is like what are you getting out of it in a way. Yeah. On one hand, I'm totally okay with people volunteering for whatever. Right? Yeah. But on the other hand, I think I think there becomes a point where that relationship becomes abusive. And it makes me uncomfortable when somebody volunteers great amounts of time towards something, you know, because it, I'm not against people volunteering. It, it just makes me wonder how, how much of that is, is somebody just taking advantage of somebody. I have very low trust when it comes to, to, to charities in general. So that is just a bit on my, my own thing there. Man, Anthony, you hate you hate you hate alligators and you hate charities. What don't you hate? You. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I get what you mean about the charities. You need to be really wary about where you de- where you like donate your time to because time is a resource. Time is something that like everyone has a limited amount of. So like mm-hmm. how you spend your time, you need to manage. Yeah. But, I, I mean, obviously it's more of a gray area than something like Joe Exotic Zoo. <laughs> like, donating your time to the Red Cross is not nearly as abusive as, like, Joe was to his employees. Or uh, how Carol best, you know. Yeah. God, I'm still shocked. How do you live off of $100 a week? Like, I heard that, and I was like, how are you living off of $100 a week? What is the cost of living in your area? Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I have no idea. I mean, my biggest thing is I think people should be paid for what they put in. And even when it comes to nonprofit things, you are still doing a service, and I think that service should be compensated in some way. Yeah. But uh, it's gross. Yeah. Well, here's here. Okay, wrapping this up a little bit. Probably, probably for the best. <laughs> watching watching this documentary is not like a learning experience. It's not like you watch this and you walk away with it like, oh, I didn't know that. I'm glad I watched that. You kind of watch this documentary as a train wreck. I mean, okay, let me rephrase what you just said, okay? I feel like mm-hmm. it can be a bit of a learning experience if you aren't familiar with how people get roped into situations. I think it outlines pretty well how people can get caught up. Yeah, I guess in a bad, way. But I... Working for bad people or just get totally sold on something, right? I, I, I mean, case in point was the employee that lost her damn arm and chose to amputate. Instead of uh, getting her go through rehabilitation for a while, right? it's true. It's true. You can pull that from there, but I don't think that's the core like thing you pull from this series. Honestly, I think this is meant to just be watched in shock and awe of like what's going on in front of you, kind of like a TLC show. And I mean, better. Because, like, these people aren't, like, playing it up. These people aren't, like... Well, okay. They're not playing it up to the degree that, like, reality TV does. They're, pl- they're like, just playing themselves more or less. 
and you're just watching the craziness unfold before you. And it's not like, oh, some producer made this happen. Or, oh, man, one of the actors just, like, had a couple of Red Bulls and went crazy. Mm -hmm. No. Episode 2 begins with, with somebody's arm being ripped off. There's an episode all about Joe Exotic running for president. And then he can't get presidency. So he runs for governor instead and hands out condoms with his face on it. There's an episode... All about Carol Baskin possibly murdering her husband and feeding it to tigers or hiding it under a septic tank under her under her house. This is not like a reality show. This is something you sit down and watch and just like take it in. Like let the wave kind of come over you of crazy. I mean, and then leave with like the experience of it. I I don't think I disagree with you there because it is. I think it just proves just how, like, you can sometimes read a fiction book, right? And it won't even come close to some of the weird stuff that actually happens in real life. Yeah, because, I mean, I think um, an episode or two ago we talked about BoJack Horseman. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something you can learn from that series. You can watch that and feel like you came away with something. This one, in the most positive way I can humanly say it, you just sit down and you experience Joe Exotic and Tiger King. That's my recommendation. Yeah, I guess that's a fair recommendation. If you haven't seen it, definitely <laughs> go watch it. If you still don't want to see it by this point, I guess thank you for staying. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, even if we spoiled everything for you. You can still go watch it, and there will be crazy things we didn't even we didn't even cover. Uh, we we didn't even cover most of it. I think we missed a fair bit of this. We like I said, we didn't even talk about Jeff Lowe. Yeah, and that's like the second half of the series. Yeah. So go watch it. It's essentially free. You probably have Netflix. Just go watch. If it. you don't, steal your friend's Netflix. If you don't have that, just get a free trial. A seven-day free trial means you can watch one episode a day. I did that with Spotify. Hey. He's good. He's.